Good morning. I hope everybody is doing good. Let me get situated up here a little bit. You never know what's going to be up in the pulpit area, so you try to figure out where you can store things, hide things, and other things like that. As Terry said this morning, my name is Todd Gaines. Some of you are probably wondering what in the world is he doing coming down here to our church to preach. Well, I want to, I want to share with you a little bit about that. Um, I'll just share my testimony a little bit. I was, I was born and raised in the Nazarene Church in Cairo, Georgia. I thank God that I had a mother that took me to church. She didn't send me to church. And uh, we were surrounded by a loving family. Later on, about the time I was 12 or 13, my dad became a Christian, and he, uh, he bought in hook, line, and sinker. And so I cannot remember not being in church. There was never a time in my life that I wasn't in a church of one type or another. But as, as we grew and got, I got married, I married my wife, Donna Carter was her name. Uh, October 27th, we will have been married 39 years. Start to say 29 years. 39 years, and I told her, I said, we're getting old. <laughs> so, uh, but that's okay. But uh, we have been involved at Eastside Baptist Church now. Uh, we actually joined Eastside on our anniversary in 1991, and I've been at that church for a long time. I've uh, served in just about every position they have except Sunday school director. I told them I would not do that. Uh, but I served in every position. I'm the chairman of the deacons there right now. But how did I get to here? Well, we were, much like y'all recently, without a pastor. Uh, we hired our pastor back in last December, so he hadn't even been with us a year. But there was about 20 months there that we were without a pastor. And as chairman of the deacons, it was my responsibility to make sure that we had somebody standing in the pulpit every Sunday morning. Now, folks, that's a chore. That's a chore. And I mean, there were a couple of those Sunday mornings it was Todd. But as I went through that time and, and, and that part of our life as a church, God began to speak to me and he said, Son, this is a spot that I can use you in this role in service to me. So I feel like God has called me into the ministry to serve to stand in the gap for churches that may not have a pastor, or if their pastors need to take a week off or something. And this thing's going to come off my ear now. And if it does, we'll just let it hang. Maybe this other one will stay. But um, God just, uh, just convicted me so hard that this is where I can use you, and this is what I want you to pursue, and I want you to start doing so that you can stand in the gap with these churches that may not have a pastor for a few months, a few weeks, a Sunday. And so uh, I prayed, and, and for so long, I told God, nope, I, I'm not the one to do that. That's not, I'm at the end of my career with the education system. I think I want to work about four more years. Um, you know, I'm, me and my wife think we're where we want to be, and God comes in and turns the apple cart upside down. And uh, I just, I'll be honest with you folks, if God is calling you to some sort of service, you just well to give up now. Because it got to the point I didn't sleep at night. I fought with God. Some nights I felt like Jacob and I couldn't sleep all night long. My wife would tell me, 
I hear you talking out in your sleep. I said, no, I wasn't sleeping, but I was talking. And, you know, and it, it just said, why in the world can't I go to sleep? But I finally, uh, back in April or May, I can't remember, we were out eating, me and my daughter Samantha's down here with me. My wife, by the way, is, we got so many responsibilities at our church, and it was our Sunday to count the offering, so she had to be there for that, So, or she'd have been here. But, but uh, back in April or May, we were having dinner, and I told her, I said, y'all need to be quiet a minute and listen to me. And I said, what do y'all think about this? And the first thing they said, we're not leaving Eastside. <laughs> I said, well, that's not what God's calling me to do right now. But God has called me into this role as mi- in ministry. And I took it to our deacons. And uh, I wanted our deacons to pray over me and over this role that, that I've accepted from God. And, and, uh, and then as I was going through this whole process, trying to build up the courage to step out you know, within my church and all, um, God led me, he says, son, and I want you to be ordained. So on August the 27th, Eastside Baptist Church ordained me into the full-time, into the gospel ministry. And I'm proud to say that I'm going to do what God calls me to do. And I'm going to be open. Uh, as I went through my ordination council, one of the questions became, well, what's God calling you to do? And I explained what I just explained to y'all. But then I did go on and say at the end, I said, but I'm open to whatever God calls me to do. And that's what we need to do as Christians is just be open to what God calls us to do. So that's why I'm here today. I feel like I'm at home. I know probably two-thirds of you folks by name, probably most of you by face. I may not be able to put a name with a face, but if you told me your name, I'd say, yes, I know you. Uh, I feel like this is home because all those Reynolds folks that are buried out here in your cemetery are kin to me on my mama's side. Uh, and Samantha wants to go visit them before we leave today. Uh, and I can remember there was a time in my life I drove by this church two times every day because I used to live on Johnny White's place down here, the old mistletoe hog farm. I fed his dog, bird dogs for house rent. And, uh, you know, that was in the day, but those days are long gone now. But in talking and, and coming to my uh, answering the call that God had in my life, He is impressed on me that we as a church need to be obedient. Are we okay? It's not bothering me at all. Oh, it is? Do you want to switch to just the front one here? You want to get the side thing? Nothing like adjustments, guys. I got a big head. All right, maybe that'll hold if it don't, we'll figure something out. Y'all just let me know what I need to do. So as uh, I fought with God about being obedient to what he's called me to do, he's led me to this message on obedience. And I want to talk about obedience this morning. You know, um, what does Christian obedience look like according to God, according to Jesus? What does that obedience look like? Um, you know, what are, what are the expectations of the church, of God's people, when he calls us to be obedient? And uh, what, what do our relationships with Christ look like when we're obedient to Him? And what do our relationships with other people look like when we're obedient to God? What does our relationship with the world look like? And God has impressed on me these things. And, you know, in the times that we live in, we need to discover the true relationship that exists between our seeing what God can do 
and then our being or seeing what God would have us to be and then being what God would have us to be. God wants us to do more than just see what he can do for us. He wants us to be what he wants us to do, to be. And between our reception of God's gifts and our reflection of his character, you know, it's easy to accept a gift. It's easy to accept, and it's really not easy to accept the gift of salvation because we have to do it by faith. We have to believe in something that there's no earthly reason that God should offer us our salvation other than he loves us. But we need to understand that once we receive that free gift, there are expectations for us after we receive that gift. And that's obedience to God. You know, and as we look in the world today and we see conflicting views of the world and the church, I dare say that most of those conflicts doesn't come from the non-church people. I think most of the conflicts are generated by us as Christians. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm not going to go to that church because I know so-and-so, so-and-so goes there, and they're no better than me. They do the same things I do. And so many times that discredits our churches even though it may not be true, it may be true. But oftentimes, the way that we live our lives, the way we express our lives, the way we show our lives to people can have a negative impact on the non-churched people. And that's why we need to be so careful when we're doing what God would have us to do. Uh, You know, what we as a church do says so much about how the world sees us. And our job as a Christian is a matter of serious responsibility because we should be reflecting Christ in every day of our life. We People should see Christ in us every day. Everything that we do, people should see that. And there's no option for us in, that, uh, in our Christian lives for people to see other than Jesus in us. And we need to strive for that. And, uh, you know, it's incumbent on us that uh, at the name of Christ that we represent him before the world. Because, folks, we may be the only Jesus that somebody might see. And as we uh, went through that ordination council back on August the 27th, a question came up to me, and uh, they asked me, what's your biggest fear? What's your biggest worry? And I shared with them, my biggest worry as a Christian is that my life had a negative impact or that a reason or that my disobedience was the reason that somebody missed an opportunity to come to know Christ. You know, we as Christians, that's our primary responsibility is to bring others to Christ. And that's my biggest fear is that my life and the way I lead my life or my example of Christ drives somebody away from the church. And I pray every morning, God, let me be an example that will be pleasing to you today. And the world expects certain things from Christians, you know. The world is constantly challenging us as a church. Uh, The world would tell us, invest your faith with visibility. Make sure that we can see what you're doing. You know, uh, the, the world would tell us to show us your faith by your works. But our faith has nothing to do with works. But because of our faith, we should have good works. We're told that in Scripture. Because a faith without works is really no faith at all. And the world is not interested in our creeds 
or our doctrines. We don't need to worry about stamping everybody that we're a Baptist or we're a Nazarene or we're a Presbyterian. We're Christians. We're all in God's family together. We're all in God's family together. And, and the world doesn't care about those creeds. What the world cares about is how much we care about them. There's an old adage, I'm sure y'all have heard it. They don't care what we know till they know how much we care. So we need to show the world that we do care for them. Uh, and so it's kind of like what we have in Christ is kind of like a bag of corn seed to me. If you go buy a bag of corn seed, if you buy a lot, well, big farmers, if Todd was planting corn, I'd buy a little brown paper sack full of corn. These farmers buy it by the tons. But, but that seed, if you looked at that corn seed, you'd see little corn kernels. Possibly it's going to be coated with some kind of treatment to help it grow. It's not really, doesn't seem like much to it. But then, or when you got it in the big, big sacks on the back of trucks, it doesn't look like much. It just looks like a big bag of stuff. But then when you ride down the highway and you see the field just full of corn, and you realize what's coming out of that one little seed, how much that seed turns around, that's where our obedience needs to be. That, those little seeds that we can plant can turn into beautiful things in this world that people can see and people can use and people can take with them as they live their lives. So as, as we get into this, uh, I want to take a look. We're going to kind of move around a little bit today. I'm going to start off in John chapter 15. And I want us to look as, as we're trying to be obedient with God. Jesus tells us in this chapter that we're his friends. In chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, I want to read those. I read from, I think this was the New King James Version. I read several different Bibles when I study. I kind of look at several different ones to get my mind together on what's going on. But, but Jesus tells us, these are Jesus' words in John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. So Jesus here, he's talking to his disciples, and he's telling them that you're my friend, I'm not your master, you're not my slave, we're friends. And just like friends know the things that go on in our lives, and Jesus was sharing with them, I am telling you everything that my father, the master, has told me. And Jesus instructed his disciples on what he wanted them to do in their lives. And Jesus went on about that. And... uh you know, if we get this idea that we need to obey Christ fixed firmly in our hearts and in our minds, it would become the power and the impulse in our lives. It'll sanctify everything we do. If we allow God to work in our lives, if we really turn ourselves over to Him, it'll make everything that we do legitimate for building Christ's kingdom. Um, you know, have you ever heard of the Philosopher's Stone? The Philosopher's Stone, supposedly, I had to ask my daughter this morning a little bit about it, and she got the answer right. I was testing her, uh, seeing if that college education's paying off. The Philosopher's Stone uh, was a belief in medieval times that you could take this Philosopher's Stone and whatever it's made of and mix it with any other kind of chemical or metal or whatever, and it would turn it to gold. Everything you touch turned to gold. Well, folks, our obedience to God is just like the Philosopher's Stone. If we take our obedience 
and our calling that God has called us out to, that Jesus is calling us to, and we share His love, and we share uh, the story of salvation with them, and we lead people to Christ, that little bit of love and the things that we do, those seeds that we have planted, will turn into gold for those people that come to a saving grace through Jesus Christ. And having this complete in our mindset, it'll make our lives shine with a radiance that can attract beholders to Him and to the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. Our lives can do that in the way we live our lives. Now, if we, expect, if we accept the fact that Christ wants us to live as His friend, just think how our lives can be transformed as we exalt our Heavenly Father. Think about that. Think about that. We should live our lives in constant fellowship with Christ. I wake up every morning. When I, I set my alarm for 5 o'clock. And I wake up about 10 minutes to 5. My alarm never wakes me up. And first thing I do is I roll over and I say, Thank you, God, for a new day. Thank you that I'm still breathing. That's one of my sayings. People say, How are you doing today? I say, Well, I woke up breathing. And I'm still vertical. And those are good signs. Those are real good signs. And so, you know, think, put yourself at the, at a, in a position with the disciples. The disciples sat at Jesus' feet while he taught them. And if we could have done that, we would see that his teachings were not just to turn out good scholars. Jesus wanted those men and women of faith and character to work in his service. And that's what he wants us to do. As we learn and we study and we figure out what God wants us to do, we need to apply that to our lives. We need to be effective, uh, effective witnesses for Jesus. We need to be one that shares the gospel. We need to one that lives a life. And I can remember, uh, I don't know, some of you guys may remember this preacher. He, used to, he preached at uh, Midway Baptist Church several years ago. And then we hired him at Eastside as an associate pastor, Brother Wayne Burdishaw. And I, I remember a time way back when the old Walmart, the first Walmart was built in Cairo. This is how long ago this has been. I was checking out at the register, and Brother Wayne was about three or four registers over, and he was checking out. And we were, you know how folks in, in Cairo do, waving across, Brother Wayne, how you doing? Todd, I'm good. How are you today? And we finished our transactions and the little girl that was waiting on me, Brother Wayne had left, she said, who was that? I said, well, his name is Brother Wayne Burdishaw. I said, he's the associate pastor at Eastside Baptist Church. And her comment to me was, I knew there was something different about that man. And so what that tells me is that the way he walked his life, people saw a difference in him. And that's what God wants us to do is as we walk our day-to-day -day life, let people see a difference in us that we make a difference in their lives. People can see us and ask the question, who was that? Why do they live the life the way they do? And I think that's what God wants us to do. It reminds me of a story back in the Western days as the United States was going across. Uh, there was this missionary. He got out into Indian land. And I don't know exactly where. It must have been up north. And you'll understand why when I tell the rest of the story. But this, this Indian chief was led to Christ by this missionary. And the Indian chief was just so appreciative. And the Indians of the day, 
they believed in the barter system. If you got something, you had to give something. It was like a trade. You gave me something, now I'm going to give you something. So the old Indian chief, after he receives his salvation, he comes back to the missionary, and he's carrying a brand new beaded pair of moccasin shoes. And the Indian chief tells the missionary, he says, here, I bring these to Jesus. And the missionary says, you don't understand. This is not what Jesus needs from you. This is what he wants. He doesn't want your possessions. And so the old chief, he can't figure that out now. He says, I'm trying to make a trade here, and he won't accept my trade. So the chief goes home, and in a day or two, he comes back. He's got this brand new woven set of snowshoes. And I'm assuming big, giant, fancy snowshoes. And he takes them to the missionary and says, me give these to Jesus. And the missionary says, no, chief, that's not what Jesus wants from us. He doesn't want our things. He doesn't want the things that we own. He doesn't want our money. He doesn't want that. And the chief still, he's just bewildered by this. And so he goes back home and he comes right back. He went home and he brought his most prized possession. He had a semi-automatic, well-oiled rifle that he had saved for years and years and years and had been able to trade and barter for. And he brings that rifle back and he hands it to the missionary and he says, me give this to Jesus. And the missionary says, chief, I've told you, this is not what God wants. This is not what God wants from us. And then the chief, it finally hits him. And the chief says, well, me give Jesus poor Indian chief too. And so at that point, the chief understood that what God wants from us and wants from us today is he wants us. He wants us. Now, yes, our offerings and tithes are due to the church to help carry on the work of God. But God and Jesus wants us. He wants who we are to be who we are for him. And he doesn't want us to imitate anybody else except him. And that's what Jesus wants out of us is our lives. He wants us to be a part of that. Then as we move on, we can see that in Matthew, I'm going over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 this time. And Jesus tells us there in Matthew 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city is set on a hill, cannot be hidden. So here, Jesus is telling us now that He wants us. He wants us to give ourselves to Him, but now He wants us to be the light of the world. Remember the song, uh, This Little Light of Mine? I know all y'all had to sing that at Bible school one time or another. But, you know, uh, He he tells us here that if we're going to be the light of the world for Christ, He's gone now. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting to come back. And we are His spokespeople now. We are His people on this earth. We have got to be the shining light that He was in his day. And he wants us to do that. And I want us to take a look at, at this statement a little bit to see if we are obedient to Christ's commands. And this could be an evidence of our obedience is being obedient to his commands. Now this verse tells us Jesus intends for us to live by the power of his grace. He wants us to live by his grace just like the disciples did. And when we do, we'll be a light into the world. You know, there's nothing we did 
to deserve the grace that Christ has extended to us as Christians. There is nothing on this earth that we could possibly do to deserve that. Nothing. And the only way we get our salvation is, is that, you know, we admit first that we're sinners. Then we believe that Christ was born of a virgin. He lived on this earth for about 33 years. He died a cruel death. He was buried. He arose. Now he sits at the right hand of God. And then we confess that to the world. Those, that's all that we have to do. You know, accepting, believing, and confessing. And then we receive our salvation. We receive that grace that is, uh, you know, it, it's unspeakable. As the song goes, it's unspeakable. And Jesus wants us to accept that grace so that we can be a light in the world. And Jesus expects us to live a way that people see his light through us. Um, if you looked over at John chapter 8, verse 12, we see where Jesus told his disciples, he said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. As Christians, or in the early, early times, Christian referred to little Christs. That's who we are. We're little Jesuses, if you will. Um, as little Christ, we should be the light of the world in his absence. We should emulate what Christ has done in us and what he's done for the world. Uh, Jesus, he applied his preeminent title, the Christ, the Messiah. He applied that to his disciples and he applies it to us today. And the expectation of us is the same. Everything that was in Jesus as he walked around on this earth should be in us as we walk around on this earth. And we should be sharing the gospel. We should be loving people like Jesus loved us. We need to love everybody. You know, he, doesn't, he didn't say, I'm just going to love those that love me back. Or I'm just going to love the people that look like I do. Or I'm just going to love this group that I go to church with. We need to love everybody that we come in contact with. The way that Jesus would have loved them. And... Um, you know, he used, he used, uh, he revealed the Father to these men so that we could reveal the, and to us, so that we can reveal the Father to the world. Obedience is the real evidence if we're to be the lie of the world. We need to be obedient to what God has called us to do. Terry, if I go too long, you need to raise your hand and say, you've talked enough. We're moving right along though. So, uh, as Matthew five sixteen tells us there, let your light shine. You know, what have you done today? Think about this. These are just rhetorical questions. What have you done today that only a Christian would do? What have you said today that, Christ, that it was Christ speaking through you? What do people see who fall on your pathway? Do you look like Christ? Do they see you alone? Or do they see Christ in you? And those are challenges for us as Christians. As a true Christian, we should not be uh, a person who thanks God that we're better than everybody else. We're no better than anybody on this world. In this world, we're no better than them. But what we should be doing is thanking God that we're trying to get better every day. Uh, we're trying to get better every day. That's what God would have us to do. Um, you know, it's a serious thought 
if we look at our daily living in this way, as we go about our day-to-day living, we either help or hinder some whole, some soul for their eternity. Think about that. Your witness, you may not ever say a word to anybody, but people may know you're a Christian and the way you live your life can either live, lead them to a positive eternity or a negative eternity. Think about that. Think about that. Is your obedience such that people see Christ in you and you make a positive impact on their lives? Remember these things as you strive to let your light shine. We're tempted to use God instead of allowing ourselves to be used by God. Okay? This one gets me. The extent of some people's religion is they know the name of the church to stay away from. You know, I'm not going to that church because, and they can probably name a lot of things. Today's danger is not that uh, the world will force us to conform to their ideals. The danger in the church is that we will want to conform to those ideals. We need to hold fast to the ideals of Jesus and not conform to what the world would have us to do. And you think about it, it's not, a, uh, it's not an accident that the symbol of Christianity is a cross. You know, that I've read as I've studied and read all my years that death on a cross by crucifixion is probably the most cruel, devastating, painful death that anyone will ever go through. Because you think about it, you don't just die, you suffocate. You suffocate because they stretch your arms out and your body gets tired and you hang on your arms. It pulls you, the scientific part of it, it pulls your diaphragm up. That diaphragm is what makes you breathe. It pulls your diaphragm up where you can't, you can't breathe. Then they got your feet on a peg and you push yourself up so you can breathe. And they realize you're doing that. Then they come along and break your legs so you can't do that. It's a cruel death. And that's what Christianity is based on is that cruel death. And our lives are going to be hard as Christians some days. But we need to remember that cruel death that Christ died. And is what we're doing for Christ worth Him going through what He has gone through? Let's move over to Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 8. Or verses 8. The first part of the verse there. In Acts chapter 8. I'm sorry. Acts chapter 1. Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's look at the first part of that. When we're talking about obedience here being the real evidence of our relationship with Christ. Let's look and see what Christ says about that power. He tells us there, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We all need some sort of power. There's nobody in this place today. I I dare say there's not a person in this room that has not experienced some sort of, what's the word I'm trying to say? Personal failure, some sort of uh, insufficiency or some sort of shortcoming. We've all experienced that in our lives. Uh, and, and, but God or Christ, Jesus tells us here 
that we're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we become Christians, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and that's our connection to God. You know, you can see um, as we're on earth, we are separated from God. You know, if you put God way up here on a pedestal, I used to do this in a class I taught, not a, school, a Sunday school class, or it was a discipleship training class, but I would, draw, I would write the word God at the top of the page and draw a line under it. And then I'd draw uh, us, I would write us at the bottom of the page and draw a line under it. And the big expanse between us and God was the word sin and the sin in our lives, that, that sin that we're born with. But what God does to, to bridge that expanse, I would always erase the word sin and I would write in the name Jesus. Jesus bridges that gap between us and God. And then when he does that, the Holy Spirit comes into us and gives us uh, the power that we need to do what God would have us to do day in and day out. He's not ever going to ask us to do anything that we can't do with him. I hear people say all the time, well, God's not going to get anything, give me anything to do, or he's not going to make me go through anything that I can't handle. Well, I disagree with that. I think God's not going to let us go through anything in our lives that we can't handle with his help. Me and God can go through anything. Me and Jesus can go through anything in this world together. And so, you know, we don't need to change our ideals to match the world. We need to keep our ideals where they're at. And we need to realize that the power that Jesus gives us is set before us so that we can walk according to the plan that he has for us. And we need to obey him and understand that his plan is what's the most important thing in our lives. This power that he gives us. Remember Pentecost? After Jesus had left, he told them, the Comforter's coming, the Holy Spirit's coming. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we're told in there, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody was filled. Every Christian in that place was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what God does for us as Christians. He fills us with His Holy Spirit so that if we will listen... If you're not hard-headed like me or stiff-necked like me, if we will listen to what God wants us to do, He will lead us to do what He's asked us to do in our lives. You know, some people in the church say, we need another Pentecost. No, we don't. Pentecost has happened. Pentecost happens every time someone comes to know Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells you. We don't need that. We don't need another Calvary. Jesus died once was enough. Once for all was enough when Jesus died. We don't need that. But the power that he can give us, we've got to accept as Christians and realize that God's giving us the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that we can be about the work that needs to be done on this earth. And so many times we fail to see that. So the last part of that verse says that. I'm winding down, I promise, folks. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus tells us that through the power he gives us through the Holy Spirit, that we're going to be his witnesses. And my challenge to us today is uh, 
what kind of witness are we going to be? Are we going to be a good Christian witness that leads people to Christ, that, that puts out a good word about Christ, that leads people to Christ? Or are we going to be a Christian that nobody knows we're any different than anybody else in the world? And folks, I'm be honest with you, I've been on both sides of that. But God convicted me of that. And now I want to be obedient to that. And that's why I'm here today, is trying to be that obe- being obedient to that. And you know, when we're obedient to God, He's going to bless us beyond measure. I got another little story here. A surgeon, surgeon back in the mid-70s. He was some kind of fancy surgeon. Now, he was a doctor. I don't know what kind. He was climbing the ladder of success rapidly. He was probably making more money than he could use. He had a bright future. But he rebelled from the calling that God had on his life. God was calling him to the medical mission. And he wouldn't go and he wouldn't go. And apparently he got like me and God wouldn't turn him loose and give him any peace. He finally submitted to the call in the mid- to be a medical mission, medical missionary. And he did surgeries in some medical area, in some mission area. And uh, one, of his, one of the missionary friends there says, I'd like to see what you do. So the man invited him into the operating room one day, put him up in, you've seen the little uh, oversight room, where you, the balcony, I call it. They looked down and watched the operations and the surgeon started operating about one o'clock that day and he didn't finish for seven or eight hours, just steadily operating on people. And the missionary tells a story that several times he had to leave, he got nauseous, he got sick, he had to have fresh air. Long story short, as he finished all of his surgeries that day. The missionary met with the doctor afterwards. He says, let me ask you something. All that work you did today. He says, how much money would you have made in the United States for all that? And he said, I have no, he said, it would be a lot of money. I would have made a lot of money today. And he asked the doctor, he says, well, How much did you get paid today? He said, well, that last lady that I operated on, she had one copper coin in her hand when she came into the operating room and said, this is what I can give you to help me live. He said, but the money is not it. It's the gratitude of the patients and the gratitude of his heavenly father that he's using the tools that he's given him to do the work that God has called him to do. And that gratitude is what our payment is as Christians. God's gratitude for what we do day in and day out for him. And that's what it means when we're obedient to God. We need to be obedient to God's calling on our lives. I would challenge you to look at your lives today and see if God is calling you to some other kind of work, And I'm not saying God's calling everybody to come up here and preach and teach and do what I'm doing now. But God is calling you to some sort of specific work in your life through your church, through our association, uh, in your life. You know, uh, everybody in here knows everybody, but there are people that every person in here knows that nobody else in this place knows. Okay? And those are the people that you can touch their lives the lives that you know that you meet with every day. Now, to immediately to obediently sur- submit to Christ's bondage is really to know perfect freedom. 
the path we fear to see is often the path alone which will bring us our greatest satisfaction and happiness. Being in the center of God's will, doing what he's called you to do, is going to be set you up for your greatest happiness and your greatest joy for the rest of your life. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for this church that is out here in Southern Grady County, being about your business, doing what you would have us to do as Christians, reaching out to a lost and dying world. I praise you for that. I thank you for their pastor, Brother Kerry, as he is off uh, visiting with family and just enjoying some time off. And I praise you that he's given me the opportunity to come out. Father, I would ask that you bless the words that I've spoken this morning so that they have touched somebody's life so that they can be better Christians today. Father, I would pray that if there's anybody in this place that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they can come to a saving knowledge of Christ today. Father, as we go into this time of uh, commitment, this time of invitation, Lord, if anybody has any hindrance keeping them from making a decision for you today, I would ask that you'd remove it, Lord, and just lead them so that they can be led to Christ this morning. And for all this, we'll give you the praise and the glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's take out our hymn books and stand and turn to 447.